Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Hey everyone, welcome to The Block Church today. My name is Grace, I'm the executive pastor of Ministries. And if you're a guest tuning in with us, you're not connected to The Block Church yet, we'd love for you to take a moment and text TBC Guest to 94000. There will be a little form, you can fill that out. We'll get connected with you. But today we are starting a new series called Christmas and Communion. And we're going to be receiving communion all the weeks of this series. So it'll end up being three weeks. And we're, today we're gonna look at some symbols of Christmas and communion. And sometimes we take symbols for granted, right? We uh, take for granted that when we're going to the restrooms, we have a clear symbol that indicates, is this for the males or the females? It's, it's so simple and so clear that if you speak another language or you're a child and can't yet read, you can look at the symbol and know this is what it means and what I'm supposed to do. I think one of my favorite symbols right now of the Gen Z generation is the way that the heart communicating love to each other is done. I hope I did that right. You know, in my millennial generation, we did this heart and it was always like by our heart, that was our symbol. Uh, but symbols are really good things, especially if you're willing to take a moment to pause and see beyond, to reflect beyond. And for many of us, the Christmas season can zoom by and it can be about parties and gifts and family and some good things, but we miss the symbols that are happening around us. The same could also be true for communion. Uh, so today the message is called Symbols of Christ. We're going to look at several symbols in both Christmas and communion that point us back to Jesus, our Savior. So let's start off by looking at Matthew 13. Let's turn there. Verses 13 to 16, the context of this is Jesus has just given a parable, which is a story that has a lot of likeness to what people can connect to. So Jesus told parables about farmers and fathers and sons and things that people could very easily understand. But in verse uh, 13, Jesus picks up and says that this is why I use parables. He's telling the disciples who are questioning him, for they look but don't really see they hear, but don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend for the hearts of these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see and their ears cannot hear and their hearts cannot understand and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. What Jesus is doing here is differentiating for the disciples that those who are under the gospel, the good news, the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, their eyes will be opened to what Jesus is communicating. Their ears will be opened to hear what he's really saying in the parables through symbols. But those who have not accepted Christ or who are hardened to him, their eyes can't see, their ears can't hear, they're closed off. 
And when I was looking at the commentary for Matthew 13, it's really fascinating because uh, what they're explaining is Jesus is saying, this is actually protection for those who are hardened so that they don't fully understand and then heap more condemnation on themselves about their sin or about their wrongdoings. And I thought that was really fascinating. So if you are listening and not yet in relationship with Jesus, my prayer right now is that your heart would be softened you would understand the good news of Jesus is on your worst day, there is a Savior who loves you and who died for you and thinks you're so valuable and wonderful. And on your best day with your most success, it's not enough to get you to eternity. We need a Savior and His name is Jesus. So as we go through these symbols, uh, maybe even today our eyes would be opened more to understand something deeper than, than what we have before. Some fun symbols of Christmas, uh, stockings, right? All of us can, even if you don't do anything with them, we understand the decoration of stockings, right? It's one of the most iconic uh, staples of Christmas. The only time that I'm aware of throughout the year that we hang socks over a fireplace on a mantle is Christmas. And this comes from uh, St. Nicholas, who was a Greek Christian. And after his family died and he was alone, he decided to spend the family fortune and his inheritance giving to the poor. His parents died in the epidemic. And so he made it his life's mission to help people who are in need. And he was known for dropping gold coins into the socks of girls who couldn't afford dowries. Uh, he would drop riches down chimneys or through windows, and it would land in stockings that were hung out to dry. So that's where that tradition comes from. And uh, another one that might not be as clearly, um, like when I say boughs of holly, I don't know if everybody immediately has an image of what that means, but it's the green leaves with the red like berries inside of them. So these are boughs of holly. These are steeped in a lot of tradition. And I loved looking into this to see why do we have boughs of holly at Christmas time? The origin to this was the ancient Druids. Um, they admired the holly's resilience because it was year round. Even in the dead of winter, it wouldn't turn brown or die away. And so they really honored this plant as an emblem of eternal life. This plant that, that lived through winter to them symbolized eternal life. And so it was bad luck for them to chop down a holly tree and they would hang these boughs of holly from their home to bring good luck. Well, the Romans really connected with uh, the god of Saturn, which was agriculture and harvest. And so they hung boughs of holly for that. Um, they had this pagan festival, and many historians say that ultimately is what became, Christian, uh, became Christmas. And ultimately, when the Christians got hold of you know, this festival, they said, we're going to make this really about Jesus because we understand eternal life. We understand blessing and and." Um, agriculture and harvest and all of this stuff. And so they redeemed this pagan holiday, which is what the Christians have done a lot. And so they adopted this symbol many years later, assigning it a new meaning. For them, the red berries represented the blood of Christ and the pointy leaves of the crown of thorns that were placed upon Jesus' head as he was crucified. And once I learned that, I thought, man, I'm not going to look at that the same. I, I want it to cause me to pause whenever I see a bough of holly and remember the blood of Jesus, remember uh, the pointy leaves and the thorns. 
And gifts in general are a symbol at Christmas that should point us back to Jesus. As Christians, gift giving should always remind us this is really about our Savior who was born. And the gift giving really um, connects because of what the Magi, the the three wise men, what they brought to Jesus. So I'm going to read this to you out of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read the first two verses, and then we're going to read uh, verses 9 to 12. So Matthew 2, 1 to 2 says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Now let's jump to verse nine. After this interview, the wise men went on their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. They bowed down and worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to break down for you what these gifts symbolized for Jesus. Gold was intentionally given to Jesus to recognize his kingship. Gold for many centuries was really reserved for the kings. The only people who could afford it in large quantities, it symbolized kingship. The frankincense was given to symbolize the deity of Jesus, that he was God. In the Old Testament, frankincense was traditionally burned in the temple as an offering to God. It was reserved for that. You see that in Leviticus 2.2. And so by bringing this gift, these wise men affirmed Jesus was not an ordinary baby. He was not an ordinary man. He was fully man and fully God. And myrrh was given to Jesus intentionally for his death. Commonly used, uh, myrrh was used to embalm bodies And it was uh, a foreshadowing of Jesus' death given. In John 19, 38 to 40, we see that at the end of Jesus' life, Nicodemus brought myrrh at the time of Jesus' burial. So even at the birth of Jesus, there was provision for his death. There is no communion. There is no remembrance of what Jesus did on the cross without Christmas. And my hope today is that you will see how they work together and how so many symbols that we have point us back to Jesus, to his whole self, his whole life, all that he embodies. So let's switch gears and look at some symbols for communion. Maybe you've been in church and you've seen people participate in communion. You've never done it yourself. Or maybe you've been participating in communion for many years and haven't taken a moment to pause and think about what are these symbols about? What are they communicating beyond just the basic body of Christ, blood of Christ? Uh, The Lord chose these symbols um, to really communicate. He asks us to take the bread and the juice or the bread and the wine in remembrance of him. And at face value, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. We're gonna read that in a moment from the scripture. And our receiving it symbolizes the nourishment and sustenance that we get from the broken body of Christ. The wine of the communion cup symbolizes the blood of Christ and our receiving it symbolizes the abundance of joy and revival that we get from the shed blood of Christ. So let's look at Matthew 26, 26 to 28. Like I said, we're skipping around the book of Matthew. 
in chapter 26, verse 26. It says, okay, verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for this is my body. Verse 27. And he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So this is why we use the blood and juice because Jesus did. And in this moment, Jesus was with his disciples and they were commemorating the Passover meal. For the Jews, the Passover had so many symbols and it communicated the remembrance of what Jesus did for the Israelites as he passed over their homes when they were in the Egyptian land. And um, you know, as he's setting them free, right? If you remember that, they had the blood over their doors and the angel of death passed over their house. So they were already in a moment of great symbolism and Jesus was saying, okay, now when you have the bread and you have the wine and the juice, I want you to see it differently. I want you to see it as my body, as my blood and about, you know, for what he was about to do for them. Now their minds didn't fully understand what he was saying, but I'm so glad the Holy Spirit inspired all four gospel writers to write this down so that you and I thousands of years later can understand how significant it was that Jesus spoke this the night before he died. Let's look at bread for just a moment. Bread is a universal food. There's no country in the world uh, whose culinary tradition does not have some form of bread. So I love that even back in the first century, Jesus was doing something that they would have in their life regularly. Bread was a common staple for them. But even now, every single culture can identify with how valuable bread is. John Calvin said this, when bread is given as a symbol of Christ's body, we must at once grasp this comparison Bread nourishes, it sustains, it keeps life in our body. And so Christ's body is the only food to invigorate and enliven our souls. Come on, isn't that so powerful? Jesus' statement, this is my body, it's the primary basis for the Roman Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, where they believe that it becomes his literal body and literal blood. And I just want to speak to that for just a moment. Uh, I want to share with you, you know, kind of our point of view and how we look at the scriptures so that you can have an understanding. Um, when we're interpreting Jesus' words in this passage, literally, uh, I, I personally believe that that's an error because of the Passover meal and how symbolic it was. I'm going to point to a couple other things uh, as well. Jesus was physically present with his disciples and his body was unbroken. So how could have he in that moment been offering uh, the literal broken body of himself to his disciples? And Jesus often called, you know, spoke about himself in metaphors. You see that all throughout the New Testament. He called himself the door, the shepherd, the vine, etc. So he was speaking metaphorically on this occasion as well. And in the context of the Passover meal, um, Jesus took two of those elements that were all symbolic for what happened to the ancestors, and he gave them new meaning, saying, the Jewish believers, as you observe the Passover meal, now I want these two elements to stick out in your mind. For Gentile believers who weren't Jewish, who wouldn't do the Passover, 
he would want you to participate in the Lord's Supper, or sometimes it was called the love feast, where the whole church ate together. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11. And now in our day and age, communion is a separate thing itself, where we regularly do that in church. You can do it on your own anytime, where you pause and you remember what Jesus did. Um, there's also a, a significant part when Jesus was talking about um, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. So let's go there for a second. This is John 6. Jesus had already given the crowd at this point indication that he was speaking figuratively. Uh, in verses 32 through 35, it says, Jesus called himself the bread, comparing himself to manna in the wilderness, which is a throwback to the Old Testament. He's saying, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. As if to clear up any misunderstanding, Jesus then distinguishes the physical from the spiritual. Uh, this is John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life and the flesh no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So again, not physical and literal. He is speaking to the spiritual. All right, let's go to the juice or the wine. I kind of use them interchangeably. And I want to let you know that um, there is no biblical ground for it. It has to be wine or has to be juice. So let's just speak to that for just a moment. Um, for those who use wine, um, if it's part of your culture and, and, you know, what's happening around you, you like use wine. In the church, in our church, we choose to use juice so that it's not a stumbling block for anybody. Um, and people who have an issue with wine or alcohol, it's like, hey, let's, let's not make this um, a distraction for when we're taking communion. Let's just be all in. So we use juice so that anybody and everybody can come and participate. So Jesus said at the Last Supper, this is my blood, it's the covenant is poured out for the forgiveness of many. So we can go even further to say that the content of this cup didn't just refer to the blood of Christ, but also the benefits, the saving effect that the blood has poured out for salvation at the cross. And Jesus' words demonstrate this. It's part of the new covenant. This is forgiveness for the sins of many. So it's important to understand the application of redemption. It goes beyond just, oh, this is washing my sins away right now. It goes beyond that. There's so much deeper truth. When we see, this is a, another quote from John Calvin. He says, when we see wine set forth as a symbol of blood, we must reflect on the benefits which wine imparts to the body and realize that the same are spiritually imparted to us through Christ's blood. These benefits are to nourish refresh, strengthen, and gladden. For if we sufficiently consider what value we have received from the giving of the most holy body and the shedding of that blood, we shall clearly perceive that those qualities of bread and wine are according to such an analogy, excellently adapted to express those things when they communicate to us. It's just so rich. So, Lastly, I just want to draw our attention to what the Apostle Paul said um, in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29. He really cautions people, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord 
in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anybody who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And so what this is calling our attention to is, do we have unconfessed sin? Um, is our, our nature causing us to be indifferent as we are receiving these elements? Are we going through the motion? Are we just doing a tradition? Are we religious about it? Well, Paul is saying you heap judgment on yourself when you do it in that way. We need to have some introspection. We need to pause and say, God, is there any sin in my life? Any unconfessed things? Help me to repent of that right now. Help me to recognize how significant it is that I have supernatural nourishment from you, from what you did on the cross. I have redemption. I'm walking in the new covenant. My sins are forgiven because of your blood that's been shed. So wherever you are, I want you to take just a moment. I'm just gonna give you 10 seconds. And I want you to reflect right now if you don't know Jesus, take these 10 seconds to tell him, I want relationship with you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be a Christian. I want my sins forgiven. Let's take 10 seconds. As I said in the beginning, there is no communion without Christmas. We're so grateful for this season in December to remember Christ coming as a baby. And we're going to take a moment right now to receive communion together. So wherever you're at, if you have a cracker, if you have some juice, just some elements. Again, they're symbols. They're symbols pointing us to Jesus. We're going to remember what he did on the cross and express our gratitude. So we have a wafer. I have a wafer in my hand. Maybe you have a cracker or some bread. Jesus, we are grateful for your body that was broken for us. We're grateful for um, you, the bread of life that we get to partake in. I pray right now, every person who's participating, life, energy, um, sustenance, God, just a, re a revival in their spirit, in their life, because of our communion with you, our relationship with you, we can take and eat. And then the powerful juice. We're going to hold this in our hand. We're going to pray together our gratitude. Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes over our sin, past, present, and future. All the sins that we knowingly commit, the ones that we unknowingly commit, we just repent before you. We express our gratitude that we get to be in relationship with you. Open our minds, open our ears, open our eyes to see how significant this is. Teach us in deeper ways. We're grateful in Jesus' name can drink the juice. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for church today. If you want to become a Christian and want some next steps for that, let us know in the chat or email us amen at theblockchurch.org. We want to give you some next steps and walk with you. Everyone else, look for the symbols of Christmas and communion. We love you. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.